Everybody said, Amen. If you have your Bibles with me today, turn in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 5. Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 5. We started a series called, When the Kingdom Comes. When the Kingdom Comes. And today we're going to talk about Jesus the King. Our last, our first part of our series, we talked about how light stepped into darkness and how there is a kingdom of darkness. And uh, if uh, you haven't listened to that today, you can listen to it online uh, at our website or on iTunes or SoundCloud. But we want to talk today about uh, Jesus the King and when the kingdom comes, what happens when the kingdom of God comes to a community. For real, we're going to be here for uh, several weeks just kind of diving into what it happens what would happen if the kingdom of God just came to Gina, Louisiana? What happens when, it, uh, when God shakes the world? Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, how many people watched the inauguration this weekend, Friday? Uh, I, I, I think that was, I'm 31 years old, I forget sometimes, I'm 31 years old. I think that was the first true inauguration that I watched the whole thing, and it was kind of an interesting event just to kind of see how it happens and and see what was going on. You know, and this week, the United States saw the transition of a new president. And in that moment, one, this whole nation, uh, looks to one man and to one government to determine our financial prosperity, uh, our territor- territorial sovereignty, uh, to provide our basic needs in life and health. And, you know, Scripture declares that God established government and that we should pray for our leaders and those who are in authority over us and submit to them. But what true change has ever occurred in the government of man? I want you to think about that today. What true change has ever really occurred since the foundation of the world in any government of man? We can go back to Persia and Greek and Rome. Uh, we can go to uh, the 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 nations between then and now, and just to determine, has, has the world ever achieved, achieved true peace? Have we ever achieved true harmony? Have we ever found a place of government or a place or a nation on the earth where there is no murder, where there is no adultery, where there is no hate, where there is no violence anymore or rioting or unforgiveness or discrimination? Have we ever found that in the history of the world? Because what hope is there in the government of man? You know, Israel saw leaders come and go. Some were good, some were bad, some were even great. Think of King David. But the problems of man continued in every single generation. Every single generation, there has always been murder and oppression and war, greed and poverty, the haves and the have-nots, the disenfranchised. There's always been victims in the world. And why is that? That's because humanity in itself is cursed. As a people, as a beings, as, as a race, there is a curse upon humanity and God's law was rejected by men in the garden and Satan became the ruler of this world. And with Satan came two things, sin and death. And we're going to talk about Satan, sin and death this morning as we talk about Jesus, the king, because What happened in that moment under the lie of the devil, we set ourselves up as God by trying to decide how we should think and act and live. And it's never stopped since that day. Man has always struggled with God in the way of how I should think, 
how I should act and how I should live. My thoughts always come against the law of God. No matter what, I'm trying my very best to read this book and, and follow it. My thoughts will still come against. There'll be hate in my heart or, or lust in my heart or, or anger or jealousy or, or unforgiveness. Those things continually come against the law of God. And it's been that way since the fall. And in trying to be like God, we became less like ourselves and less like Him. And it resulted in violence and addiction and depression Suicide, rebellion, and divorce now permeate every level of society in every country and every nation. So what hope is there in the world today for any government of man? Because the problem is much deeper than health care or violence in the streets. It's much deeper, it's much more complicated uh, than what we can handle on our own, much bigger than us. But the Old Testament gave a glimmer of hope that one would come. And he would judge between the nations and he alone would be the one to bring world peace. He alone would be the one to bring the Saul. He would be the problem solver of humanity. And Isaiah tells us a little child would come and lead us all. And look with me in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. And here's here's this prophecy today. We're going to kind of look as the foundation of of our message this morning. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he'll reign as king, and he'll act wisely, and he'll do justice and righteousness in the land. And his days, Judah, will be saved. Now, we're talking about the whole people of God there. And Israel will dwell securely, and this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. You know, see, Israel was prophesied of a king in a kingdom. And, and it was what, was what was he saying was going to happen? When he says, the Lord our righteousness, righteous means right standing with God. It means that me and John Smith, if we're friends, we're in right relationship together. And that if we want to be in right relationship with God, we have to have this thing called righteousness to be like God, to be in right relationship with Him. And so there would be this great king and this great kingdom that would come upon the earth at a day set by God, and he alone would make the world right again. He's not trying to make America great again. That might be some campaign slogan you like. But Jesus' campaign slogan was the best in the world. It says he would come and make the world right again. He would bring the world into right standing with God. He would make the things that were wrong in the world right again. And only one man could do that, and that was Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. He alone would make the world right again. It says in prophecy that he would establish a righteous government where no lie would ever win a case. He would make a government where men's hearts could actually feel God's presence, where the poor and needy would be under the sovereign protection of God Almighty, and where the afflicted would find mercy and the wicked would be destroyed. And here's the good news. He came. One day, God said enough was enough, and he stepped out of heaven, left glory, and stepped into the dust of the earth. One day, this righteous king of light stepped into our darkness, and his inauguration was one little bitty town called Bethlehem. And on that day, with no great crowds and no great fanfare, with no great joyous rejoicing of the nations, no media, no, no teleprompters and no parades, the king came and he was received. And today he came preaching. When he, when he 
He came to that little town called Bethlehem, and he grew up and came preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his inauguration speech was this, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the release of the captives, the recovery of the sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. You know what that means? To proclaim the grace of God, the favor, the unmerited favor of God has now come to those who really are seeking something. They want a king and they want a kingdom. Because there's nothing in this world that's going to satisfy. There's nothing in this world that's going to bring you peace but Jesus Christ. There's nothing in this world that's going to meet all your needs. Your spouse cannot meet all of your needs. That job cannot meet all of your needs. Your children cannot fulfill that love in your heart, that void that you want to, uh, you need those things. There, there are things we look for, that comfort, that vacation. There's nothing in this world that will meet your needs like Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the one that brings right standing with God. His audience were those who were weary and burdened by the bondage of sin and the law. They were the spiritually oppressed. And they were those who would accept His rule and reign in their hearts. They would be His kingdom. And they would receive eternal rest. That's you and me today. So what did He come to do? I'm going to give you some questions we're going to answer this morning. And that's who Jesus is. But what did He come to do? How did he do it? And what does that really, why does that matter to me? Okay, are you ready this morning? What did he come to do? The first question we're going to try to answer this morning. A little bit of a teaching, but I really want to inspire you today, uh, not only to challenge us, but to encourage us in who he is and what he's come to do. Because before we get into uh, how he should be the kingdom in the next coming weeks, and what does it mean to be in the kingdom, and, and how do we see signs and wonders, and, and how does the kingdom of God in Gina, Louisiana rise up and take this community, we have to understand who the king is, what he came to do and how he did it and why that matters to you and I. So how did he come to do it and what did he come to do? Who is this king of glory? In Luke chapter 19, verse 12, uh, Jesus gave a parable about a nobleman. And he said that this nobleman left his country and went to claim a kingdom for himself. And then he would return and go back uh, to his country. He gave the story back in the, the days of Rome. Sometimes a king would have a territory that he owned, he had dominion in. But he'd have to go to, uh, let's say, Rome and receive the authority to rule as a sub, uh, rule that smaller kingdom. Rome would grant him the, the rights to rule that. And Jesus, the uh, New Testament uh, people would have understood that that's how Jerusalem had a King Herod. King Herod had to go to Rome and get the authority to come back to uh Israel and rule over it as a uh, sub-king, okay, if you will. Jesus began to give this parable. Let me tell you something. What, is that, what does that mean for us today? Jesus did not have to leave heaven today for you and I to, to gain any amount of authority. The Bible says that He's God. He's sovereign of all nations, all people. He's, he's God over all life. Jesus already had authority. As soon as He came on the earth, He had authority over the winds and the waves. As soon as he stepped into earth, he already had authority over the demons because they began to flee. He already had authority over all nature and disease. He began to heal uh, the infirmity and the sickness. He began to multiply bread and, and walk on water. He already had authority. He had authority over all flesh. And even in and John tells us he already had authority to give everlasting life. Before he ever died on the cross, he had authority. So 
What, he, what did He have to come to do? What is this kingdom that Jesus had to come down and gain the authority for? I kind of struggled with this in Scripture this week to understand how to present it to you, this idea of why He had to come. And what is this authority thing that He had to come and show? This king, He gives a parable of a king who has to leave his kingdom to go gain authority and then come back and rule and reign. Jesus comes he, from His position in heaven. He steps onto earth to gain authority. But He already had it. He could cast out the de- demons. He could lay His hands on the sick. He could raise the dead. He could speak multiplication. He could speak life. and healing. He could do anything He wanted to do. So what did He come to do? You see, men had given up their authority when they had their free will. And God gave us authority when we had the, when in the garden. God gave us authority. We had our free will and we chose to give that authority away. We gave that authority away to the devil who tempted us and, and, and tested us and we fell to that sin. And what happened in that moment is that the enemy, you have to understand this to kind of understand the problems of the world today, the enemy comes, he took the authority that was rightfully ours, that the Lord had given to us, and now sin and death began to rule us in this whole world. Death came into the whole world. Every animal began to die. The world began to corrode. And even our hearts, now sin began to rule us because we fell to the enemy. So he didn't have to come to gain his authority. He came to get the authority we lost. And it's like this. Jesus came to conquer Satan, sin, and death as a man to gain the authority for us. You see, He already had it, but we lost ours. And so He came as one of us to gain back what we could never get. To gain back what we had lost. And we have to, this morning, we have to understand this. That what Jesus came to do today is to conquer Satan, sin, and death as a man to gain victory for you. He didn't have to gain victory for Him. He came to gain the victory for you. That's what He came to do. But how did He do it? His victory came in stages. First was His birth, where His inauguration happened in Bethlehem. And then His wilderness and His cross and His tomb And finally, there's his return. We're going to look at these stages today because the coming of the king and his kingdom meant the defeat of all the enemies of God. And on on our behalf and on that day, salvation came to everyone who would turn from rebellion and to submit to this king. But let's look at these three things this morning. I'm going to look at the wilderness this morning. In the wilderness, we begin to know him as the defeater of the devil. And this is what he came to do and how he did it. Satan was the source of all evil. The Bible says he's the great deceiver, the liar, the tempter. He's the great schemer. And in the world today, he is, he's the, the prime source of evil. And the Scripture tells us that his, his legions are attacking the world. They're ordering chaos in the nations. They're tempting, they're tormenting, they're oppressing, they're possessing today. Whether you notice it or not, or where you would want to realize it to not, there are people who would be possessed in our community There are people who are tormented in this community, and it's not because they don't have the Zoloft or the Xanax. It's because there is a devil out there seeking to devour this whole world. And while there is good things, I'm I'm, I'm believing for, I mean, I believe in um, medication and all those types of things, but we cannot deny there is a source of evil in this world. Scripture even tells us that Satan even caused sickness in the New Testament. Some sickness, not all, but some sickness was caused by him. And his goal is this worldwide rebellion. 
And unlike Adam and Eve, though, Christ comes on the earth. And while Adam and Eve fell to the devil in his schemes and all of his half-truths, there was a weak moment. And it was 40 days in the Judean wilderness. And I'm telling you, I've been there before. And there is nothing as far as you can see. It is just ravines and hills of sand. And it is hot and there's not a tree in sight. And he goes out there in the weakest moment of his flesh. How many know that when my flesh is weak, when you fast or you're hungry, man, you're the most irritable, mean person. At least I am. You know, it's like uh, if I haven't had my sleep or my breakfast or, you know, you just don't know, wait a minute. Maybe some of you have coffee issues like that. You've got to have your coffee in the morning for 40 days at the very end of 40 days of Jesus with no shade and no food and no water out there in the Judean desert. He pushed his flesh to the limits. I've been hiking a few times. I've gone on survival campouts before where we went out just backpack on our shoulders and we just went in the woods for three days. No phones, no internet, nothing like that. No food except for what granola bars we had. And we try to survive and the spiders are crawling on your face at night as you're sleeping and, and things like that. I can't imagine though, 40 days, I did three, 40 days he's out there and the devil shows up at his weakest moment. And in that moment, he became the defeater of the devil. All the schemes of the devil and all of his half-truths in that weak moment, Christ pushed his, with his flesh, pushed the limits, conquered the temptation of Satan. All the lust of the flesh he could throw at him and all the lust of the eyes and all the pride of life, Christ set his foot in the dirt and said, enough is enough, devil. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. For on my behalf, he became flesh for me. And he stood the devil in the face and said, enough's enough. No more lust of the flesh. No more lust of the eyes. No more pride of life. I'm coming to take back something today. He had a mission for you and for me. And in that moment, he took authority and bound the devil and his demons. He preached. He exercised authority over them. He illustrated that it was him coming to deliver the people from the bondage of Satan. Matthew 12, 28. He was rescuing Jew and Gentile from the dominion of darkness, Colossians tells us. And he would transfer us into his kingdom where we could receive the forgiveness of sins. It was an invasion. It was as if in that moment he was to say, get behind me and they're behind me too. He says, I'm standing between you and them. And they're, they're, they're in my shadow. They're, they're, they're behind me and enough is enough. He'd even give his followers, even before the cross, he'd give his followers authority over demons and disease. And the kingdom of God, Scripture said, entered into this evil age and Satan was cast out. In the wilderness, we know him as the defeater of the devil. When you couldn't handle temptation, when you couldn't stand against the devil's half-truths and lies, when the devil comes to you and says, you know, you're not good enough, you know, your mom or your dad never loved you, you know, maybe God never really forgave you for that, maybe you really aren't a Christian, maybe you really... Uh, don't you know? I don't know if your husband or your wife really loves you. You ought to think about something different. Maybe, maybe you're not a good parent. Maybe, maybe you are a failure. The devil comes and he begins to destroy. He's like, look at this, look at that. This is shiny. Go for that. This is great. Do this. He begins to work on our minds and our emotions. Jesus stood in the gap for you. He became the defeater when you couldn't win. He won for you in that day. Amen. Now, there's a, still another problem, though. Because on that day, even though he bound the devil and he said, look, on behalf of man, I'm resisting all temptation. I came as a man, I resist all temptation for their behalf. There's still a problem. Satan still had the keys, the Bible says, which is the authority. Keys mean authority. 
He still had the authority of death on his side. And sin was still ruling the world. So he had to take it to another level. See, Christ began his invasion of the king and the kingdom of heaven. It took birth. There was his inauguration at Bethlehem. He's taking authority. I'm coming to do something. You're going to see something great. I'm going to make the world right again. And he goes into the wilderness. He says, you know what, devil? I'm taking back temptation. Uh, This is done. It's over with. And he goes in the next level. We find him at the cross on a hill called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. We know it in Latin as Calvary. Been there before. And on that day, this, this mountain that actually looked like a skull, the cross is standing there, and he's made his way through the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. And they've mocked him as a fake king, and they proclaim him as not a king, and they, they spit on him and abuse him, and they hit him over the head, and they put a crown of thorns on his, on his head. He was coming to the cross that day as a deliverer of sin. Why? Because when we were tempted and deceived by Satan, sin had a hold on us. had a hold on this whole world. You know, what is sin? Sin is the things that violate God's law. Sin is the things that call God a liar and say, God, your way is not really right. God, I know in your word it says this, but I really feel this in my heart. God, I know it says to forgive, but I really hold on to this. But God, I know you say give all your possessions to the poor and, and, and lay up treasures in heaven, but God, I really want to buy this or I really want to do this. That is sin. It begins to set ourselves up. God, I know this is my one and only wife, but I'm really looking here. That pleases me. Sin sets itself up as God and, did not, and what it does is it calls God a liar to say, God, your way is not really right. God, you really don't know best for my life. And because of that, sin then separates us from God. And when we're separated from God, it subjects us to His wrath. There's no choice. If you're not in the presence of God, you're out of the presence of God, cast in outer darkness at the wrath of God. And so sin began to separate us and subject us to this. And you know what sin actually does is it corrupts our morality. The longer I'm in ministry, the more and more I hate sin. Man, I hate it with a passion just to see what it does to people just to see what it does to me when I allow it to rule my life because it twists our minds. And two greatest sins that are everything comes down to is lust and pride. Un, un, uh, unholy desires and unholy building of myself up. Lust and pride are the, the core of every sin that has ever been committed. And it consumes us and destroys us. And what we find is we begin to trap ourselves in a cycle of pleasure-seeking. We find to go to this relationship or that relationship only to find that we never gained anything at all. We try this drug or that drug only to find that the, the high just keeps fading and fading and fading and the, the, the pleasure that we once thought we were gaining is not there anymore. Whether it be a relationship or a job, we start trying to jump the corporate ladder, trying to have that next affirm, uh, that affirmation, that next gain, or we try to buy enough for our families to hope that they would love us and we try and try and try only to find out at the end of it all there's just nothing, there's emptiness like Solomon would tell us in Ecclesiastes. It, it's all vain. It's all for nothing. And sin begins to consume us and trap us in this way. And it's like this cancer. It only goes deeper and deeper into corruption. You play with it for a little bit and then it gets deeper. And then you get lost into those thoughts. You get lost in those thoughts. And before you know it, you wake up. And what started as just a little thing, a little bitty flirtation at work, ends up into a full-fledged adultery later on. Because sin is like a cancer. It don't care who you are or what you've done. Its goal in life is to eat away at you. It just wants to destroy you. It wants to take you down into a place where you have nothing left or you would just be left with the insanity of your mind, broken emotions. And it's ruled by the deceiver. And its consequence is death. 
and you and I are powerless to overcome it. You know, I don't, I don't, in this world today, there is a lie that says that you can kind of be an okay Christian and kind of play around with sin. Let me tell you something. That's a lie from the devil. Sin takes power over me. I will either be master by sin or I'll be mastered by Jesus Christ. There's no other way around it. There's only two ways through this. And you and I are powerless. But Jesus would give himself for our sins, the Bible says in Galatians 1.4, that he might rescue us from this evil age according to the will of God. He who knew no sin would give up his divine privilege, Philippians says, and become a slave to us all. He'd humble himself to die a criminal's death on, on the cross. And in that one moment, if you can even imagine, he would bear the sin of all humanity that ever been committed from Adam till Jesus and from Jesus to the coming of God. He would bear every sin, every thought you ever thought, every pain, all the rape, all the murder, all the incest, all the abortion, all the wars, all the famines and the plagues and all the consequence and every thought you've ever had, everything you've ever done or ever would do came upon him in that one moment. Can you imagine? And he did that because you couldn't. And that he, he could have said, devil, I'm done. This world's over. Sin, go away. Death, go away. Satan, go away. We would have been a lost cause. He, could, he already had authority over sin. He was holy. He's God. He already had authority over the devil. He's holy. He's God. He already had authority over death. He's a life bringer. But you didn't. You didn't. And so he comes as a man. He sits. Stand, they nail him to that cross and they raise him up. And he said on that day he'd be lifted up and he'd draw all men to himself. And on that day, when he was lifted up, he became the lifter of our heads. He became the one that would make atonement, make us right again with God. And when sin began the separation, he began to draw. And sin began to pull us and he began to pull us to himself. And on that day, he made us right with God and removed the separation. The Bible says he reconciled us. That means in that moment he made us friends with God. In that moment, he ruined the devil's activity and power. He conquered sin, and now men can now approach God, and he healed them of all their disease of sin, all the suffering, all the consequences. In First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-four, it says it this way: that because he never sinned, and because he never deceived anyone, in verse twenty-four, he personally carried your sin, my sin, in his body on the cross, that we could be now dead to sin and we could live for what is right. There's that righteous one. We could live and be right again. And by His wounds, you're healed. You're healed of everything that's ever been done to you. I don't care what has happened to you in your past. Maybe someone has abused you, spoke evil over you. Maybe you've done things to other people. But in that moment when His blood was shed and you apply it to your life, you are healed. And even though the pain you may feel in this world is still there and the thoughts and all those things that are running through your head, as far as God is concerned, and as the Holy Spirit penetrates your heart, you can experience the healing that only comes not through situational circumstances, not through an emotional high or a loud church service or jumping and shouting. It comes because the presence of God is activated in your life and begins to undo things. That no psychological theory and no medication can undo. There are things in the spiritual world that can step into your mind and change the way you think. Change the way you feel. Even change things you remember. Because let me tell you something. Sometimes I remember things wrongly. 
And God can set me right again. God can set me right again. There's only one righteous one. And only one who makes us right. And that's King Jesus. We were once like sheep who wandered away, but now we've returned to the shepherd, the guardian of our souls. In the wilderness, he became the defeater of the devil. And on the cross, he became the deliverer of sin. And in the tomb, he became the destroyer of death. You know, no one can avoid death. Death is the enemy of all God's creatures. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And not just physical death, but there's an eternal death of the soul. We may all die and animals die and, and, and plants die and trees die. But there is a second death, the Bible lists, for humans because we have a living, breathing soul in us, given to us in the garden. There is a second death, which the Bible says if, if left outside of the presence of God ends in eternal damnation and judgment with weeping and gnashing of teeth cast out into burning flames of fire and utter darkness for all eternity without hope, so to the degree that the Bible is fearful of all the people that will be there one day. Words can't even describe what hell will be like on that day. And so He comes and when you and I were destined to hell and when death came to us. And let me tell you, when death comes knocking on your door, what are you going to do? You say, no, death, I really don't feel like going today. To now, now is not really my time. I really have got plans for my life. No. When death shows up, you are powerless, church. We are powerless over it. And because he could have said, you know what, death, you're done. I'm, it's finished. It's over. From heaven and heaven's side, we're just going to say you're done. I'm going to take authority. But you didn't have authority. You had no power. And so Jesus comes as a man on your behalf. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Look there with me because this is a good verse to take home this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. How will you face death and what control will you have? But Jesus steps down. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. He says, because God's children are human beings, because you're made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For as a human being could He die. And, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Have you ever been scared of dying? Maybe you've had this, a close encounter with death and it kind of brought you to, whoa, that was a close one. I know there are people... And maybe even in this room today that I counter with in my life that are are truly worried that if I died today, where would I be? That's called the fear of death. There's the fear of the unknown. The whole world lives in the fear of death. And what we do actually around the world today is we deny its existence. And most young people today will never go to a funeral because you'd have to face the reality that death comes to all men and then the judgment. And we don't talk about it. We don't think about it. We don't pay attention to it. And we just throw the fried chicken at the funeral and we move on and try to think about happier thoughts. But the truth is that death comes to us all. But there was a a God up in heaven who stepped down as a man for you and I. And only by that way could he gain the power of death, not for himself, but for you. That's the only way he could do it. So in that moment, Jesus goes to the grave for three days. The Bible says the Spirit of God raises him to new life and he becomes the first man who would be resurrected. 1 Corinthians tells us in chapter 15 that for since by a man came death, Adam, so also by a man came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all would die, 
But those who are in Christ will be made alive. And because he lives, you can live. This is the gospel, church. You don't get any better than this. This is the good news. This is it. I could give you a ten steps to healthy and better living and thinking, but there's nothing like the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's all you need. The king came and he began to preach this good news. And in this moment, it said it was finished. It was done. And, And you have to follow me because in this moment, he steps out of the tomb comes to the disciples and he's, what does he say? He says, hey, now all authority has been given unto me. Now go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded unto you. And he says, guess what? I'm going to be with you always. Why? The authority he had been gained and given, the king had come down to your pit and your desperation, and he gained the authority back that what you lost, he gained back for you. And he said, guess what? I got it back. I've got it back. The things you lost and the depravity of your mind and the pain of your past and, and the present condition of your circumstances and the hopeless future that you once had. I stepped out of heaven and came as a man just like you. And when I had authority in heaven and I could have saved myself and saved all the angels of heaven, we could have cast loose for and bound him up. I could have said, death, it's finished, it's over, it's done. I'm leaving these people behind. But I stepped out of heaven. I came down and I rescued you from the pit of hell. It's finished. And sometimes I want to just look to people in the face and say, guess what? Your pain, your problems, it's finished. It's done. So many, so many struggling through this world with pain. So many struggling with hurts and habits and hangups like we say in recovery. So many struggling with what has been done to them or what they've done to others or the the brokenness that lives in their life. But there is a God who said, it's finished. It's finished. All authority that you lost, I've gained it back. I gained it back. And the triumph over death began on that day. It was a journey. Just as it came in Bethlehem and it came to the, the wilderness and it came to the cross and it came to the tomb, it's coming back again on a second day. It's coming back at a day called the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. And we are in a progression of victory today, church. We are in the triumph, a march towards heaven because we are in a victory lap because it's been won. Triumph over death has begun. Has begun. It says He rescued us from the authority of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom where we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I love what one author says. He says, guess what? We are already on the heavenward side of the resurrection. We're already on the side of victory, church. Where the whole world before Jesus looked to a day of hope and victory. You and I are on the heavenward side. The heavenward side of the resurrection. We've been given the victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ, because the bringer of the kingdom, the king has come. And there's a day coming where he's coming back. You know, today, Satan and sin and death may still be in this world, but it's just a temporary thing. For the believer, the power of God now works mightily and has conquered these things. And on that day, on that day, all three will be permanently defeated. 
On that day, Satan, sin, and death will find their place in the lake of fire. He'll bind them up and cast them in. And all those who belong to Christ on that day will be raised to new life and the end will come and He will give them the kingdom, His realm, His reign. He'll give them over to God the Father and He'll destroy every authority that is not submission to Him. He'll, every power will be submitted to Him, including Satan, sin, and death. All because Jesus said, I've gained the authority for you. It's finished for you. Why does all this matter? Say, oh, pastor, that's a good amen sermon. Why does it all matter? Why does it matter? Because we hear the gospel all the time in the Bible Belt in in southern United States and central Louisiana. Why does it matter? You know, Christianity is more than a religion. It's more than going through life, a good moral person. It's more than just healthy church attendance and tithing. It's actually how you think, live, and believe. It's how you think. Uh, and, and think of it this way, it, it, am I without sin and fear of death? Am I burdened by the pains of my past? Are there habits in my present controlling me? Or maybe there's worries in my future. Does Satan's temptation still sway me? Does sin still control me? And does death still frighten me? Because it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. The Christian life should actually be a celebration of victory. It should be a hallelujah march until heaven calls us home. It should be that all of our thoughts and all of our feelings are reminded daily of His Lordship. When that fear comes in my life, I say, you know what? It was finished. I've got the authority. Jesus bought it for me. Satan, you've got no hold on me. I'm, I'm done with those thoughts. Those feelings come and says, you know, you really should get mad at so-and-so because you know that, 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 that's what they are and that's how they are and that's what they do and you know how they're going to do it again. And you begin to hear all those thoughts. You say, you know what, devil? That's a lie from the, that's the lie from the pit of hell. I choose to live with my thoughts in subjection to who the king is. I'm living with the authority of Jesus Christ in my mind, in my heart. I'm not going to be subjected to these feelings of fleshly desires or pride or, or anger or unforgiveness or jealousy or rage or malice. Those things are of the past because he said it was finished for you. You don't have to live with that stuff any longer. It is a spiritual change. It does not come through multiple Bible conferences and memorization and, and curriculums. And it doesn't come through, through reading and following popular TV preachers. It comes because of an encounter with the Spirit of God who raises Christ from the dead, now lives in you, and brings new life into the way you think, act, feel, believe, and do. So long. Christianity in America has been a self-help class. It's a spiritual change because God lives in me and God's won the battle for me. No longer do I have to be burdened by the pains of my past, the habits of my present, or the worries of my future. No longer do I have to have the temptation of the devil sway me or sin control me or death frighten me because I'm on a celebration march of victory. Two things I want to leave you with today, how we should respond and why this matters. Number one is kneel to the king. I want to recognize today what the true meaning of his visitation is. I want to realize today what the true meaning and recognize that the king has come. He stepped down and he finished it. Jesus didn't have to die on that cross to defeat the devil's sin or death. 
He died because we were defeated and he died so we could have the victory through him. And because of that, this is our response to join with the Apostle Paul. and says, because I understand really what he did for me. Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, so the life now that I live in the flesh, I'm in this temporary time. There's coming a time where they'll, it'll, he'll, put it, he'll finish that victory lap. But and while I live in this time, knowing he's already gained the authority for me and he died for me, while I live in the flesh now, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm crucified with Christ. That's what he's saying. I'm, I'm going to live dead to the flesh. I'm going to live dead to the devil. I'm going to live dead to sin. I'm going to live dead to death. Because none of that stuff has a hold on me anymore. Because I identify with the king. And I love him. Am I free? Are you free today from the power of sin? What's ruling your heart? Are you living under the power of Christ for your past, your present, and your future? Have you knelt to the King? I want every thought to be subjection to His Lordship. I want every feeling, every emotion, every desire, every dream, every ambition, everything that I do to be under the subjection of His authority because I don't ever want to leave His authority again that He purchased for me, that He gained for me because to leave His authority is to be back out there on my own again. I want to live and say, God, I want to live under your protection. I want you to guard my heart and mind. God, I want you to guard my emotions. God, I want to live in submission to you because if the devils listen to you and flee from you, who am I to step out and disagree with God what you say? God, I know you have my best interest. I trust the king who died for me. I know he loves me. Church, you don't have to wonder any longer if God loves you, if God has a plan for your life, if he wants to deliver you. You don't have to doubt that His Word is good. And you wonder and you say, God, that doesn't make any sense. I, my heart, I, it's hard for me to feel that way, God, because this you don't know what has been done to me, God. You don't know what I've gone through in my life. You don't know what he or she said about me or did to me. He says, but trust me, I've proven my love for you. Just let it go and submit to me. I'm going to be the one that makes you right. I'm going to be the one that brings you peace. I'm going to bring the one that brings you love. It doesn't matter what they've done to you or said to you or done for you or didn't do for you. I am the only one that can make you right again and right again. Kneel to the king. And secondly, is worship of the king. I was looking at that presidential parade, the inauguration parade, and I just was amazed at the fanfare. If you watched it, you know, you saw thousands of soldiers and secret service and lights and parades and marches and marching bands and all of this great stuff to honor this president. And it was kind of awesome to, to really just to see how it was all put on and, and all I was just thinking about that and the fanfare. It was prophesied in Psalms 24 of what heaven would be in saying when Jesus finished that, that lap and what his inauguration parade would look like, all right? Psalms 24 says it this way, it says, there was a shout from heaven. And it says, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. That's the King of glory that He may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is this King of glory. You see, on that day when He stepped out of off this earth and back up into heaven, there was a shout from heaven. And I can just imagine that the doors just swung open, the angels began, and all the armies of heaven were there and all the fanfare that would make this world look shameful. And all the saints of heaven were standing on the streets 
clapping, saying, that's a guy I can get behind. I believe in him. He's the king of glory. Who is like this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. He is the king. The Lord of hosts is his name. And so there was just a great awakening of heaven that day. Just to think of the joy of heaven. Of a king who paid the ransom for a man. Conquered Satan's sin and death. Meanwhile, on the earth, men are still rioting in their hearts. They're still out in the streets declaring there is no God like me. They're still out in the streets declaring there is no God. He doesn't rule this place. God, we know what's best for our life. We know what kind of society we want to have. We know what kind of rules we'll have in this country, in our hearts, in our homes. This is what we want. This is how we're going to get it. While heaven's rejoicing, the earth is still rioting. Much like today. The problem is deeper than any sense of government or any, any policy of man. They say we've got to kneel before the king and worship him. Who are you worshiping today? Will you come today and worship the king? That the king of glory may come into your heart. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? Who is this King of glory to you? How does your heart and life kneel to Him? How does your thought life kneel to the King of glory? How does your heart kneel to Him? How do you worship Him? Is there elements of your heart and your life that are in rebellion or rioting against what His Word says? To forgive, to love, to rejoice in trials and to resist the desires of the flesh and the desires of this life? to resist building yourself up? Are you submitted to the King today? Are you worshiping the King in your heart? Is He living in that place? Does He rule your life? Does He rule your thought life? Does He rule your emotions? Does He rule your behaviors? And does He rule your finances? Father God, we just want to come before You today and submit say, God, we know you have our best interests in mind, that you stepped out of heaven and bought the authority back for me. God, that when I was bound and I couldn't help but fall to temptation, when I was bound, God, and I couldn't help but be under the curse of sin, twisting my mind and my emotions around, not thinking clearly or rightly, headed for destruction, not only in this life, but God, in the next, when death would have a hold of me and I'd be powerless to it and hell would own me and the grave would keep me. But God, that you stepped out of heaven and you got the authority back for me. Lord, I want to submit my life to You. Lord, I want to say, I for, forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart. Help me to live again. Holy Spirit, come inside of me. Let me know the joy of salvation. Let, me, let my eyes be open to the situations, the circumstances of this world and my life. Lord, may I see clearly because the King has brought clarity. God, may I live freely because the King has brought liberty. God, may I live peacefully because the King has released me from captivity. Lord, we just rejoice today and celebrate heaven's march on. That we as a Christians is not just about getting through the motions and not just being a good boy or a good girl or living a, a happy and healthy life. But God, it's about living in authority to the King. It's about living in worship and celebration to the King. Father, we know who you are and what you've done and why you've done it. May we respond today accordingly. Every person in this place, every head bowed, every eye closed.